right. Hey, some of you uh, might know that uh, maybe around the beginning of summer, we inherited a uh, German short-haired pointer puppy. And uh, I, I know, uh, Katie, you said you guys have a Jack Russell, right? I can't even imagine what that was like as a puppy. This German short-haired pointer puppy is, is probably like that Jack Russell on steroids, maybe. I'm just guessing. And uh, this dog is full of energy. It was a dog my son thought that he might have needed. And then about a year or so later decided, Mom, Dad, I can't take care of it. Will you take care of it? Now, when he got this dog, um, you know, he was taking care of it. And then he had to get a job and, uh, to take care of it. And, and so this dog, he bought it a big kennel. You know, one of those big kennels for the hunting dogs. Thought he was all set. Well, this dog's an escape artist. So the dog dug its way out. The dog knows how to use its... He's got those German short hair pointers. They have like these square teeth across the front. And we've literally watched this dog pick locks and pull, pull things apart. And actually, uh, you know the things that hold the fence together? It can actually literally pull those apart and then go through the fence. It's a very skilled, talented dog as an escape artist. So that didn't work. So he now had to kind of tie it up on a tree while he was at work. And this is up in uh, North Florida, Lower Alabama, up in that area where that happens a lot. And it was a big shade tree, so it wasn't dying in the heat of South Florida. But nevertheless, it learned how to chew through collars, learned how to chew through every single kind of restraint thing that they put on it. And finally, he's just like, man, I just don't know what to do. It can dig out. It can chew out. Not to mention all the things that it chewed up. It chewed up through, went through two pairs of Costa sunglasses. That, by the way, if your dog does eat your Costa sunglasses, you can send them back to Costa. You may have to buy new lenses, but they will guarantee the frames, even against dogs. So, who knew? So, man, finally, he was just like, Dad, Mom, would you... He tried to give it to us earlier, and we were like, no, nah, our dog's kind of on its last leg, and... And uh, we had a dog, she was getting older and really didn't want a puppy jumping around, you know. And so unfortunately we did have to put her down. And then a few months later he brought this dog and said, I need you to take this dog. So instead of having an empty nest like we sort of thought we were going to have, we now have a toddler. I mean, that's literally, we have that and we have my daughter's cat. But that stays outside and fends for itself. It sits right outside the gate and taunts the dog. So it's no problem. And so, but this dog... And um, oh my goodness, when, when uh, we had to get the dog, uh, Tom, was it neutered or spayed? What do you do with the female? Okay, spayed, yeah, whatever. They did all that, man. And she chewed through her stitches like, you know, whatever, man. Uh, I, and, and, and tried to keep her contained. The cone on her head, it lasted about six hours. We woke up. She was sleeping in our bed, which, by the way, I can't even believe my wife let the dog sleep in our bed. The other dog, which we really loved, that dog couldn't sleep in my bed. But anyways, we're going to love this one, too. But within six hours, it's got the cone off of its head. No problem. So this dog has been an ordeal. How many of y'all have ever had a dog, Marley and me dog like that kind? You know what I'm saying? All right. And so, but it's like, all right, she's a puppy. We're going to train her. She's a puppy. We're going to train her. And I'm like, this is why grandparents don't raise children. Because <laughs> it, it's like, we just don't have the patience for this anymore. And we made it through, though. She made it. I think Tom, literally, the three weeks with the cone on her head in the cage really kind of mellowed her out a little bit even though she at first could unlock the cage and get out. We literally had to turn this dog cage and put it against the wall at the fireplace because there was nothing but rock to chew there. If we had put it against the wall, she would have chewed through the wall. But So she couldn't, and finally, so that sort of broke her a little bit. She's getting better. And so 
uh, we it drove us crazy. She has this whole beautiful backyard and a, and a patio, which doesn't look so beautiful now that she drags palm leaves up on it and throws them in the pool and all this other stuff. And, but she's got a whole fenced-in backyard. But what did she do once she started getting used to the backyard? What do you think she did? Found, she dug out. She knocked my neighbor's fence over. She found all the rotten slats in the wood fence. Well, fortunately, it's his, and he needs to get a new fence, but we're working on that. So she would get out, and I'm like, Leo, why? You've got the whole backyard to enjoy. Learn your boundaries. There's freedom in your boundaries. There's joy in your boundaries. You, nothing's going to mess with you. Stay here. You won't get hit by cars. Stay here. You won't get distracted by squirrels and cats and all those other things and get yourself in trouble. You won't go to the pound. Stay here in these boundaries. But what did she do? Took off. Had, could di think of nothing better than to break through the boundaries. So now we've got her kind of loose, used to the boundaries. And she's doing all right. In fact, the other day I went over by the fence, do something with the pool pump, and I noticed there was a tunnel dug under the fence. But she's staying within her boundaries now. And it's like, awesome! And now I'm very cautious to brag on her. Because every time we brag on her, she does something stupid. All right? You know, now, how many of y'all is this sounding like you and God so far? Yeah. Does it sound like you and God? God's like, stay in the boundaries. It's good. There's, there's benefits in this. There's protection. There's provisions. Everything you need. It's a minimal problem if you stay in the boundaries. But how many of y'all are so focused on trying to find the way to chew out of your boundaries? You know? But now, you know what? She's out from, she had the whole the way, way to escape, but it, it's like maybe sinking in. I'm going to stay here where there's food. I'm going to stay here where there's shade. I'm going to stay here where there's a bed, at least for now, because Linda's sewn her bed three times. And she, at some point, gets bored, chews a zipper off, and all... You, you ever look at the inside of a dog bed? It's that brown stuff, you know? She eats it. You know how we know she eats it? Because when we let her in, she's going... <coughs> That's how we know she's been eating it, you know? And uh, so, so she's getting it. Well, yesterday, we had Keone. Uh, he spent the night. It's my grandson. And I was thinking, dude, let's take the dog and Keone. <laughs> my wife didn't think that was an awesome idea until it all happened, but... Uh, so we got the dog, and I got her on a leash, got her in, and we were going to go to J.C. Park because the website said you could take her to the park. Said, How harmless is that? Well, we couldn't do that because they changed the rules. So we took her down to the dog beach at Walton Rocks. Anybody ever go to the dog beach at Walton Rocks? Man, she was in hog heaven, dog heaven, let's say. She was, man, you know, Linda's getting sunscreen on Keone. I get, I get Leia out, and I got her on a leash, and just there's an area probably of sand as big as this room. She could have stayed there all day because there were so many things to smell and check out. And that's what dogs dig, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I wonder who And she's just everywhere smelling and having a great time. Little did she know over the dune was a whole nother tree. She would have been stoked just staying there. Well, I take her over and all of a sudden she sees probably 25 other dogs, man. And they weren't on leashes, only a couple of them. She's like, yeah! And she's like straining, trying to get. I let her, and she did good, smelling all the other dogs. Aren't you guys glad we shake hands? <laughs> we shake hands and we hug. Isn't that a good thing? All right. So anyway, she gets over the ledge, and she just was having a great time. All the things to smell, all these dogs to make friends with. And then we start walking down the beach, and I have this like 20-foot retractable leash. So I would let her just take off. You know, we do it through the neighborhood. And she would see birds 500 yards off in the distance and jump out into the ocean as the waves are receding. And then as the waves coming in, jumping back, I have never seen her have more fun in all my life. 
It was so awesome. Just watch her do what she was created to do. She's a bird dog. She's a hunting dog. But she was out chasing stuff and getting wet and shaking and just rolling in the dirt. Man, how many of y'all does that sound like a good time? You know what I'm saying? She was just digging. I saw Terry, you were doing that yesterday, right? I saw you when he got up at the beach, right? And so, man, she was digging it. But I kept thinking, how much more fun could you have if you weren't on that leash? How much more fun could you have if I could trust you and not have to put you on this leash, man? Because my other dog, Leah, oh, by the way, you like that? When my son moves off and decided, you know, he needed to mimic things, he names his dog Leah. <laughs> and this was Leah. So, so I'm thinking, Leah, man, I couldn't let her off. And I just go, she'd come right back to me. This dog, go, she's gone. She's going to anybody but me. But I'm thinking, if I could, man, Leah, you're having such a blast running in the water, chasing this shape, but you've only got 20 feet of leash right here because I can't trust you. How much more fun could she have had if she didn't have to stay on the leash? Jack, how much more fun could, could you have if you didn't have to sometimes be on a leash? Man, but what it takes for her not to be on that leash is it takes her being, her master being able to trust her that she's going to listen to my command. So she starts running, she starts swimming because right off the bat, as soon as, we, as soon as we look out in the water, you know what, there was about an eight, nine foot bull shark. I promise you, it was right there in the little trough right there. So Gary about this morning. As soon as I, so, so if she goes out swimming and all of a sudden that bull shark's coming, I would love to be able to pull her out of danger and go and have her just come right to me. But I can't trust her to do that. So I've got to have a leash to be able to yank her back on. And then and, 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 and there's road out there. You know, what's happening if she takes off and she's running and all of a sudden she's going across A1A where people are supposed to be doing, what, 45? And, and they're doing 70. And all of a sudden I, I can't go and come back. So I, to keep her out of danger, to keep her from just getting lost, to keep her from getting in trouble, I've got to give her a leash. I'm hoping one day that we can develop a relationship where we don't need that leash. I'm really hoping we develop that. And as I was thinking about that, God was really just sharing with me about my relationship with him. And he was saying, how often do I have to put a leash on you? And when is it that I have to put a leash on you? And I need the leash when I'm not listening to my master. And you know what? I don't think Leah really wants to be disobedient. Sometimes she just gets distracted. She's kind of like me. Anybody else ADD kind of like us like me? Yeah, well, they're just squirrel, <laughs> you know, and you're gone. Sometimes she's just distracted by something else because she's not focused on her master. Sometimes she will just look at us and go, oh, yeah, watch this. <laughs> and, and, and is totally belligerent. But I'm the same way. And what I realized when I saw her for the first time jumping around in the ocean, I mean, if a dog could smile, that's what she was doing yesterday, man. With her whole body, she was smiling, man. And it was like, oh my goodness, look at the fun she's having. And she could have so much more without the leash. And God just showed me that if I could just be obedient, if I would just stay focused on my master's voice, and do what my master wants, I may not have to have a leash as often. But how many of y'all are glad God puts a leash on you sometimes? Man, you know, Jeremiah said, you can't trust your heart. Your heart is the most deceitful thing above anything else. And that's her when she takes off after stuff. Man, if our heart is not listening to our master, man, 
you know what, I'm grateful for that leash. Because you know how many cars I'd have been hit by so far without a leash? Yeah, <laughs> yeah Jack, me and you being doggy heaven right now, bro. I'm just saying, I need that leash. But I also want to get to a point where I need it less and less and less and less. And the way I get there is by following some of the principles that we find in um, Joshua. Joshua chapter 6 in the Battle of Jericho. You guys know that? In fact, what I want to tell you about that particular story, we're going to look at it today. And... Um, uh, well, well, we'll get to it. Let's show how, how we get to it. it uh, from a message that Paul's preaching uh, that we've been following in Acts 13. And um, I call this message Paul preached. You can cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. And the purpose of Paul's message that he's preaching is that Paul's trying to show the, he's in Antioch preaching to Jews that haven't been saved yet. And he's trying to show them all through their history how God's plan has been Christ. And he's really showing them anywhere you cut the Bible open, it bleeds. It's about Christ. And that's where salvation is from. Real super quick, you guys remember how Paul got to preach this message? They went to Antioch through all kinds of troubles and pain. Man, he probably had malaria. He's climbing mountains. He's getting, you know, all these different things. And he goes, sits through a service at the synagogue. And they're like, now, brother, do you have something to share with us? So Paul stood, lifted his hand to quiet them. Shh. And he started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation, Israel, chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in, in Egypt. And then with a powerful army, led them out of slavery. And two weeks ago, we looked at how God brought them into Egypt with Joseph. You remember the story? Was anybody here? And, and we looked at how God brought them through Joseph and through a number of situations that they could have never, Joseph would have never dreamed that he was such an integral part of something way bigger than him. And that's what I shared with you. And so we talked about how they got into, how they got into Egypt. Because when he was preaching to the Jews in Antioch, they would have known all of this. But we maybe need to brush up on some of our Old Testament sometimes, and it's where God has directed us. So then last week, he says he put up with them for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And so we talked last week um, out of Numbers chapter 13, where when God said, okay, guys, go get it. Here it is. Here's the promise. Here's the check. Go cash it. Here's the situation. Go take advantage of it. Go into the promised land. What did they say? Do you remember? No. Yeah, they, in fact, spent 40 days searching it out, trying to find 40 million reasons why they couldn't do what God wanted them to do. Aren't you glad none of us do that? Dude, aren't you glad you don't ever do that, bro? Man, try to figure out why you can't do what God said to do. Man, uh, there are people that do that, you know? And, uh, yeah, I just don't understand it. No, it's me all over. But so, so God said, you know what, really? You're not going to trust me? So guess what? You guys, since you spent 40 days trying to figure out why you couldn't obey me, now I'm going to give you guys 40 years in the wilderness. And you're not going to get to see the promised land. And while you're there, I won't make your shoes wear out and your clothes wear out. I'm still going to give you man. I'm still going to take care of you. But your generation's not going to see it. Your kids are going to see it. And so now we come to this next section, verse 18, where it says, Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to the Israels as an inheritance. So after the 40 years in, kept, uh, in the wilderness wandering around, he said, Okay, now I got Joshua. Let's go for round two. Joshua, here it is. Cross the Jordan River. You guys remember when they crossed the Jordan River? Hey, when they crossed the Red Sea, what did God do first? Did he part the sea or did he make them get in it? He parted it. And there they walk through. But now it's time to walk into the promised land after 40 years of wandering. And, and God now says, hey, guys, you know what I want you to do? I want you to trust me. 
I want you to put your feet in first. I want you to go in first and do this and then watch what I'm going to do. Natalie, ever God ever do that to you? Wouldn't it be awesome if you just parted the sea all the time and we just walked through? But how many of y'all had situations where you got to put your foot in first and then trust him? That's what he did this time. After 40 years of wandering, he said, let's see if you got the point. Step in and do the right thing. And so they stepped in. And they, as they stepped in, it started parting. And then, and then the priests were there with the ark in the middle while all the nation went through and crossed the, and crossed the Jordan River at that time. And now they get to the point where God says, now, Joshua, go in. Go in and take it all. Don't worry if you feel like grasshoppers like we talked about last week. Just go in. And you remember, Joshua and Caleb were ready to go in. So we're going to look out of, uh, we're going to take, we're going to take a look in, um, uh, I'm sorry, Joshua chapter six at the story of Joshua and the battle of Jericho, because this is the first city they had to conquer. This is how they got into Canaan and how they then conquered the rest of it. And there's some awesome principles, but this is the main principle. I want you guys to learn out of this today. This is what God has given me to give you. And I don't know where you need to apply it, but I know where I do. So success is what? God's way. There it is. So success is doing God's will God's way. God's will is, is what you're supposed to do, but you can't just do what he wants you to do. You've got to do it the way he wants you to do it. And if you want to find an off-the-wall way to do something, wait till you see this story. How many of y'all are familiar with this story? You know it? How many of y'all taught it to the kids? You read it in the kids' book. How many of y'all know the song? Anybody know the song? Go ahead, man. Start singing. Come on, man. You guys know the song? Yeah, yeah, none of y'all, y'all chicken, man. Joshua in the Battle of Jericho, man. I think my mom, my parents used to play it on those big CDs. You remember the big CDs? Uh, 33 and a half or whatever. But, um, but uh, so success is doing God's will God's way. Because if God is for us, then who could be against us? So often I think what we do is we just step out and do, I'm doing this. And then we try to find some godly principles of why we should do it. And we say, God, bless what I'm doing when God's not in it. We can be doing things that we've done in the past that are godly, but if God's not in it, then we're in trouble. It's our, it's our success. Sometimes we even have to redefine what success is. But here's what we're supposed to do. We figure out what God's will is, and we do it God's way. Christine, it's so awesome that you're here, because when was it you were here last? Uh, March. In March, man. Christine, you wanted more than anything to do what? To live here, to move here. That's what she wanted to do. She's a nurse and all this. And up in upstate New York, her youngest son was going to college. And she had an opportunity to get a job and move here and ask me to pray. And we prayed. We prayed, but her husband didn't have a piece about it. She didn't fully have a piece about it because, man, my son, he might need me. It's his first year of college. And then she found out he didn't even care. No, I'm just messing with <laughs> You're like, you can get a text once a week, right? But he changed college. So she, man, she had to give up her dream. She knew God's will was one day for her to move here. But you can't just do God's will. You've got to do it God's way, which includes his timing and everything that goes with this. So today, now you still, do you live here yet? No! Just hang on, we're going to the store. Do you live here yet? No! She doesn't live here yet, but guess what? She came here and she told me, she said, all right, I've got a job interview. My husband's got a piece. My son's at another college now. And if it works out, what are you thinking about doing? Six weeks, we hear from 
Six weeks being here permanently, which she knows is God's will for her life. And I can't wait to, for God to add you to the Driftwood Mission Team to help other people see life from his perspective. Because, man, you've been coming here since almost day one. And, and it's awesome that God is going to move you here. So, yeah, so you move out of the ranks of, of, of just somebody who should, 25%, I told you last week, people just show up kind of. We see them once, never see them again from all over the world. That's awesome. 25% are snowflakes. They, they don't live here. They're your snowflake right now, I think. You just fall on us and dissipate. Fall on us and dissipate, right? And then there's the snowbirds, which are basically people three months to six months. You now get to move into the ranks of locals that are here when you're not on vacation. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so so they're, they're, I'm, I'm getting to watch this, but if you would have done it before, would it have worked out? And you know what? Are you open for God to shut the door again? She's like, if he had to. Yeah, because you know one day it's going to happen. But you want to do not only God's will, but you want to do it his way. Success is doing God's will God's way. Because if God is for us, if God's designed the plan, if God says go for it, then who could be against us? Can we lose? No. But it's often we step out and blame it on God. We step out and it's our own lust, our own desires. We want something and we're like, and we can find scriptural backing and, and, it's in, and try to blame it on God and it doesn't work out and we get disappointed. It is so important we do God's will, God's way. So help me read this with me again. Success is doing God's will, God's way. Because if God is for us, it's a no-lose situation. Wouldn't it be awesome that if God could just take us off the leash? Wouldn't it be awesome if God could take us off the leash and you're just basically that obedient dog? And again, if you don't like dogs, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm good with that. If he just take me off the leash and I would just want to do nothing more than please my master, like my, mas my last dog did. My last dog, that's all she wanted to do is please her master. And do you know what? One of the terms for worship in the Hebrew language one of, the, one of the words for worship literally means lick the hand. Because in worshiping God, it's like a faithful dog that just wants to stay right next to its master and lick the hand. I don't know if you've ever experienced that with a dog that's a dog that's so loyal like that. But that's one of the terms that describes worshiping God is wanting to stay so close to the master that you just want to be there to be able to lick the hand. Now, some of you are like, nasty. Dude, how many of y'all like the dog licked you? You're puking besides Ashley, all right? <laughs> and guess who the dog really loves to sit next to? <laughs> but how many of y'all are cool with the dog licking your face, man? Yeah, yeah, it's antiseptic, man. It's like, no, I'm just joking. But that's the only way they can show they love you. That's one of the ways they can show. Now, I know we're working on the shot collar, so it doesn't happen, right? It's but vibration. I got gotcha. you. Okay, vibration, sorry. <laughs> but... But, but that's the way they can show they love you. And God would love nothing more than us being right there to lick his hand and say, hey, man, I'm counting on everything from you, you know? So, man, success is doing God's will God's way because if God is for us, who could be against us? If you do what God's asked you to do, you don't get in trouble with him. Who cares if you get in trouble with anybody else? You don't get in trouble with him. So let's take a look at this story, Joshua chapter 5. Well, we're going to hit the first, the, the chapter before just real quick to see that God was with them. Um, so it goes on and says in verse 13 of chapter 5, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, God said, Sigum boy, God said, go, go now and take it over. And was Joshua, was Joshua fearful like the other spies after 40? Was, was, what was Joshua like? He's like, let's go, man. 
right? Joshua was so ready to do this, he had no hesitation. God filled him with that courage and with that spirit to charge hell with a water pistol. He was ready to go and do what God wanted him to do. So when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he's kind of like, all right, God, how do we do all this? He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to that man and demanded, are you friend or foe? I mean, it was Joshua was fearless at this point, you know, friend or foe on all this. And because if he was foe, Joshua's thinking, I'm going to kick his tail. He's in my way of doing what God wants me to do. He's friend. He's jumping on with it. But the guy replied, neither one. I am the commander of the Lord's army. So now Joshua finds out that this is God. And this is God's representative. So what do you think somebody who worships God would do at this point? Yeah, absolutely. At this moment, Joshua fell with his face on the ground in reverence. He fell on the face with, because when you worship your master, that's what you do. When he's in charge, it's like that, that lick the hand. It's like when, when, when you have not made him happy and and boom, you, you know, you, all you want to do is please. All you want to do is give them reverence. So at this point, Joshua fell on his face to the ground with reverence. And Joshua, look what he said. Read this with me. I am. Dude, that's how you get off the leash. If my dog would come to me, first of all, my dog would say, hey, you know, I see how much you love me and uh, I'm at your command. Well, first of all, I'd probably faint if my dog talked, right? But, but. If I knew that's what my dog was going to do, I'd have no problem letting it off the leash. You know, that's, that's, that's what God's looking for. Do you think my dog would have had more fun off the leash? Yeah. Do you think you would have more fun off the leash? But that's what it takes to get off the leash, being in such a relationship with God that, man, you want to hear him speak. You're on your face before him, begging him to speak, and you want nothing more than to obey him. And so he fell on his face and said, I'm at your command. Joshua said, what do you want your servant to do? That'd be like my dog coming to me. What do you want me to do? And I'm like, oh, dude, go get me that squirrel, man. We're going to have squirrel sitting. No, I'm just joking. But go, go get me this. Go get me. What do you want me to do? And that's what his whole desire was. What do you want me to do? Not what... What's a dog's desire that has to be put on a leash? What's their desire? Yeah, whatever they want to do. Not what I want them to do. And so to get off the leash, our desires have to change. The commander of the army's army, uh, Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. You know, Joshua could have said, dude, you know what? I'm kind of worried about foot fungus here. I'm a little kind of worried about Sanspers here. I'm, he could have come up with a million excuses, but he did what he was told. That's how you get off the leash, man. And life is more exciting off the leash. So now we get into the actual conquest. First of all, Joshua submitted to God and said, man, I want to do your will your way. Let me ask you a question. Just think about it right now. What is something that's weighing heavy in your heart? I know right now, Christine, biggest thing in her life right now is this possibility of coming here and, and, and making this your permanent residency, which is a big deal. How long have you been coming here? Yeah, I mean, a lot, yeah. This is a big deal. I wanna ask you right now, I don't want you to tell me unless you want me to make it public, but, and we'll pray for you, but what is the big deal in your life right now? What is the big issue in your life right now? The big thing where basically you're wanting to do God's will, God's way. Number one, do you know it's God's will? 
Or are you still in that process thinking, man, oh no, I'm not sure. That's where you need to be. Let me ask you a question. Have you been praying and have you been fasting? Those two things go hand in hand in the New Testament. People didn't even pray without fasting. And fasting is not a way to lose weight. What fasting is, is you give up something physical. And every time you are, you know, your, your, your body wants this physical thing, whatever it is, you use that as a trigger to, to shoot off to God a prayer. To say, God, I'm giving up this physical thing because I want this spiritual answer. Or I need this spiritual solution. I need this spiritual power. And so you're giving up something physical, using that to, to trigger you to go to him. And do you think God honors that? Has God honored prayer and fasting in the past? Absolutely. Let me ask you a question and don't answer this, but when's the last time you fasted? And I'm not talking about when I preached extra long and you had to wait another hour for your dinner. I'm just saying, that ain't fasting, all right? I know you were praying for the rapture while I was preaching, but, and I'm sorry it didn't happen too, but what I'm saying, man, is if you really don't know that what you're longing for is God's will, and man, that's the first thing to start praying and fasting about God. What is your will in this? You know? And what if you know it is God's will that God does move you here? What's God's way in this? How is he going to reveal to you his way? And again, it's the same thing, but you've got to get to that point. And that's where Joshua was. So now it says the gates of Jericho were tightly shut. Now, Jericho, check this out. How many of y'all, like, man, I don't know, from the kids' stories and all this, I thought Jericho was this giant city with giant walls, 20, 30 feet high, and Jericho was like the size of Orlando, man. I mean, you know, or maybe Fort Pierce at least, something. It was huge. How many of y'all got a picture of Jericho being this gigantic city with giant walls, right? Well, Jericho, put it in perspective, now that makes the feet no less of what happens, but Jericho was about the size of the mall, actually. It was eight or nine acres, okay? I don't know what eight or nine acres, look. I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of the size of the mall. And it had a wall that was probably, you know, 10 to 15 feet high. But the first wall, and it was up on a hill, which made it hard to penetrate. So the first wall was about six feet thick. There was about a 15-foot span and then another 10-foot thick wall. And they would put planks over that, and people would build houses. That's where Rahab the harlot lived. And so basically, this was a hard place to penetrate because you had to get up the wall and then up that other wall. But it was only about eight or nine acres that's not, how many of y'all think that's smaller than what you thought Jericho was? Yeah, it's like, dude, we're just knocking over a castle. I mean, that house down here is probably eight or nine acres, right? Something like that? A little bigger wall. But yet it was impenetrable. That's what these guys were afraid of when they went in and scoped it out. Oh, Jericho, we can't do that. If they would have taken two million people and stormed it, they could have probably done it. But look what happened here. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of who? Who made the people afraid of the Israelites? God did. God said way back 40 years ago, he said, I'm going to put fear in their hearts where they're going to just give you whatever. The way the Egyptians were giving stuff away when they left. And so God already had them afraid of the Israelites. They had already heard what was going on. And no one in Jericho was allowed to go in or go out. But the Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho, its king and all its warriors. In the Hebrew, that word, I have given, it's in a perfect prophetic tense, okay? And now, I'm just saying that to say this. What that means is when he says, I have given you, it's something that's already accomplished. It's already done, just you haven't realized it yet. It's like getting a check. 
Anybody ever get a check, man? Somebody gives you a check. JJ, man, when they got that, they got a check for getting the car fixed. Somebody give them the check, but you own the check, but when do you really own the check? When you cash it, exactly. And there's so many promises like this in the word. God said, I already gave it to you. Go cash the check. Go take over. And Joshua had no problem with this. He said, I'll take care of their king, their warriors, everything. You and your fighting men should march. Now, let me ask you a question. Terry, you're going to take over the mall, right? Because there's all those stores you like, you know, like Justice and, you know, for your girls. You know, Bath and Body Works. You smell pretty good, bro. I, I could use some of that. But, you know, if you're going to take over the mall and it's got all that on there, you know, wh how would you storm the mall? What would you do? Dude, you got some warriors. Say you got 600,000 warriors. Would you take them all? <laughs> Yeah, okay, maybe you would. Well, they didn't. They only took about half of them. But they got half the warriors. They, they took those. But would you storm? Would you, like, stretch it out, or would you just go get it? Man, they, I would just storm it. I would all come in. But watch what happens in this, this plan. It's, that's why it's so important to do God's will, God's way. He goes on and says, you and your fighting men should march around the town, and you should build barricades and starve them out and shoot flaming arrows, set the whole town on fire. Is that what God says to do? Look what he says. It's, how many of y'all ever got instructions from God that were kind of ridiculous? Yeah. But that's the test in doing God's will, God's way. And he said, march around the town once a day for six days. So, Terry, I want you guys to go, you and Bob, go storm it and take, the, take them all. But you're going to march around the, around the mall one time for six days. Does that make any sense at all? What would you tell God? Tom, would you even believe those instructions were from God? No, isn't that what happens? God gives us these obedience instructions, and we're like, no, that ain't God. That ain't going to work. In our mind, we know it's not going to work, so we're waiting for something that makes more sense to us, and we're missing what God has done. That's why we're on the leash. <laughs> so he says, go ahead. So what do you think Joshua does? Check this. He goes on. He says, seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each one carrying a ram's horn. And this is pretty cool because... Uh, uh, Carl, you remember when we were studying about the horns for calling them to war and all that? What were those horns made out of? You remember? Silver horns, the battle horns, and the horns for direction were, were made out of silver. Does anybody know what the ram's horns were for? They were for celebration. In fact, the Hebrew word is jubilee, like jubilee. They were used to proclaim a feast. So these guys weren't fighting for victory. They were fighting from victory. It was already given to them. So they're blowing the party horns. That's what these are. These aren't like, we're coming to conquer you guys. These are like, we've already done it. Yeah, the victory's ours. And so he said, each of these seven priests ahead of the ark are carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the, police, the priests blowing the horns. Hey, what's God's favorite number so far? Seven. Yeah, did you get that? Yeah, that's the number of completion. Your number of completion may not literally be seven, but God's got a perfect number. You're like, How long am I supposed to wait, Christine? Number seven. You're supposed to wait seven days, right? And seven days can mean seven months. It can mean seven years. You wait until God has got everything in place. And then instead of fighting and having a mess, you walk right in and it's there. It's all set up. That's how God operates, doing God's will, God's way. Because if he's for us, no one can be against us. So, yeah, seven priests walk around the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horn 
And when you hear the priest give one long blast of the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Okay, so Terry, we're taking over the mall. Seven days, we're walking around one time. Do you know how long it took? Like, they didn't even take the whole army, probably. I mean, they had over 600, almost 700,000 warriors. And do you know how long it would have taken one person to walk around Jericho? About 30 minutes. <laughs> so God's saying, for 30 minutes, I want you guys just to walk around Jericho one time. I don't know, for me, I just thought it was more spectacular than that. But isn't that where we get lost? Isn't that when we need the leash is when God just having us doing the mundane thing? And we think, what's the purpose? What's the purpose in what I'm doing? I've got no purpose. You know what? If you didn't have a purpose for what you're doing, God wouldn't have you here. Whatever you're doing, however big, small, or indifferent you think it is, if you're following him, you are a huge, a little part of something way bigger than you. And so every day, 30 minutes, they probably had half the army and walked around once a day. Okay, I guess we're done. What do you think after the third and fourth day, Natalie? What do you think the people in Jericho were thinking? Yeah, I, I'm thinking there's probably some guys that were probably making fun of them, right, Tom? <laughs> what are you guys doing? You know, you guys walking? Is that all you're going to do? And we're afraid of you? And I'd be thinking if I'm a soldier, I'd be thinking, dude, when is it they're going to start firing arrows off at me? When are they going to start, like, dumping tar off the wall? When are they going to start retaliating? But let me ask you a question. Did they ever do that? Why didn't they do that? Because God God didn't give them the ability to do that. God's plan was totally set up. But isn't it in all the what ifs that we take off running? And that's why we need the leash. If we would do God's will, God's way, he could let us off the leash. And we would do like them. And we would just march once around. The next day, march once around. Next day, march once around. I'm going to be redundant. Mar next day, march once around. How many up to? Four. The next day, march once around. That's five. The next day, march once around. That's six. Now, on the seventh day, all they knew was they were going to get to march seven times. <laughs> so it was like, all right. So they marched seven times around, and they, the priest gave one large blast. All the people shouted as loud as they could. And look what happened. Read this with me. Then the will collapse, and the people can charge straight into the town. This is, Mo, this is Joshua getting the, the regulation. Now, can you imagine? Okay, I'm going to lead you guys into battle. Terry and I are going to take you to charge the mall, and here's what we're going to do. How many of y'all would say, I'm not following that? But if you have the Spirit of God to do God's will, God's way, you follow. Because God's Spirit's telling you that's the way to do it. It's just such an amazing thing that was such a weird plan, such a plan that didn't look like it was going to work, that they believed that it was going to work because they all had the mind of the Lord in this. Look at verse 6. So Joshua called all the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant, assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to other people, march around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, seven priests with the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests, uh, with the horns uh, and some behind the ark, with the priest continually blowing the horns. What a battle plan. Do not shout. Don't even talk. Now, there's where I'd have got in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you understand? And we couldn't text, okay? <laughs> they couldn't text. They couldn't send emails. They, could, they couldn't do anything. They had to literally march silently the whole time, man. I'm telling you, that's where I'd have been in trouble. <laughs> I'd have been like, 
I'd have been like, yeah, you'd have been in trouble too, right? <laughs> you and I would have been on separate ends of that march. <laughs> yeah, and we'd have been like, what is going on here? Shh, well, let's go. Dude, you know, God said, be quiet. And so for some of us, how many of y'all being quiet is the hardest part? That's why you keep ending up on the leash. Now, I'm not talking about being quiet, not saying stuff out here, but I'm saying being quiet enough to do more listening to God than talking to God. That puts me on the leash more than anything, is trying to tell God how it should be as opposed to being quiet and simply listening. What do you think they were doing as they were walking around the, 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 the town of Jericho being quiet? What do you do when you're quiet? What do you do? You listen. You think. Man. And so hopefully they were thinking about the Lord and, and what was going on. Think, dude, I can't wait to see what happens here. So not a single word from any of you until I shout. And then you guys shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day. And then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Woohoo! <laughs> Can you imagine that? Everybody go one time. That's it. Well, that's pretty anticlimactic. How many of y'all need a little more than that? You know what I'm saying? So then guess what? Joshua got up early the next morning. The priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests, the ram's horn, marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched in front of the priest with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. And all this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. How many of y'all would have said, dude, you know what? I don't know. I've been here. Dude, VBS. How many of y'all ever worked at VBS before? Vacation Bible School? <laughs> You know what I'm saying? First day, they got you pumped. Yeah! And then the kids beat you down pretty good. The second day, you're like, all right, I think I made it. I'm here. And by the third day, you're like, no, I don't want to go. By the fourth day, you're like, oh, two more days and we're done. Friday, it's a celebration because like, we're done. Man, think about it. That's what this was like, man. Some of these people are like, dude, no way. Again? Is that all we're going to do is walk around? They were making fun of me. Did you see that? So they did it for six days. That's doing God's will God's way. Sometimes it's mundane and we get bored. And that's when God's got to put us back on the leash. <laughs> because we find better things to do than what God has for us. Any of y'all ever have better ideas than God sometimes? You think you do? <laughs> that's me. So look at this. Now we get to the seventh day. The Israelites got up at dawn marched around the town that they had done before. But this time, wait, it gets exciting. Destiny, are you ready for this? This time, read it with me, they went around the town seven times. Woohoo! Yeah! Now you're just like, dude, you are so full of yourself, you just can't contain it, right, Terry? You've done it seven times now. And so they're like, all right, something's changing here, something's changing. But now watch what happens when you are obedient and you do God's will, God's way. How many of you ever had to wait for God's way to work out? And how many of you have ever called me and said, guess what? Guess what God did? Some of you I know how. How many of you have ever gotten that point? You're like, oh, my goodness, God, I'm so glad I waited for you. Anybody been there? You right now, you may be mundanely walking around once a day. Stay obedient. Maybe you're in that process, and today you get to walk three times and four times. Just stay obedient, doing God's will, God's way. Because I'll guarantee you there's one day when it's all going to be worth it. What's that day, Ashley? When we get to heaven. Dude, can you imagine what it's going to be like when we get to heaven? 
That's going to make it all worth it there. So the seventh time around, are you ready? As the priests sounded the long blast of their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. All right, so on the count of three, you guys all shout, just to wake up anybody sleeping right now. One, two, three. Yeah! yeah! Okay, so, dude, that had a lot, of, a lot of percussion and reverberation to it. That would knock down anything, don't you think? All right, so let's see what happened, man. It said, so Jericho and everything in it must be... Comp oh, wait a minute. Where did we skip a verse here? Seventh time around, uh, the Lord's giving you town. Uh, oh, he's still giving instructions. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected the spies. Um, so here's a little, little side note in here. You guys remember when they went and they spied it all out? Well, they ended up at a little hotel, but uh, a, a prostitute owned the hotel, and it was on the side, it was on the wall, and so they all knew the Israelites were going to do stuff. They knew their town was doomed, and so the two spies that came in, they stayed with Rahab, and she's like, look, man, um, I'll take care of you guys. I'll protect you guys. Just take care of me, and so she hid them on the roof and even lied to the guys and told them, you know, no, they're not here. Go chase them, and she fixed, fixed, fixed their escape. And so it was because of that the spies left, but as a payment to her, what were they going to do? They were going to save her. She was going to hold a scarlet cord out her window, and all her and her house were going to basically be saved. Hey, guess who Rahab ended up being? The grandmother to? King David. Rahab ended up being the grandmother to King David. And guess who came from King David? The real Joshua, which is Jesus. And so in God's grace, he took a prostitute that did God's will, God's way, and honored her in, in making her part of the lineage of Christ in all of that. So in this, uh, here they got to honor it. She, so let me ask you a question. What do you think is going to happen when they walk around seven times? What's going to happen to the walls? Boom. Boom. All of them. But if she lives on the wall, then what part of the, uh, I mean, did all the wall fall? Everything but her house. <laughs> is that a cool miracle? Everything but her house fell. That'd be like, you know, hurricane, dude, category five, and everything but your house goes. Boom, there it is, Sebastian. Oh, you're hoping for that, right? All right, but it's God's house, right? All right, so he said, don't take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you or yourselves will be completely destroyed, uh, and you will bring trouble onto the camp of Israel. Um, he goes on, says, everything made of silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. So basically, everything you conquer... God says, I want you to give to me as, as a treasury. To, I want you to give it in honor of me. It's like a tithe. Give it all to me. Don't take any of it for yourself. So if you don't take any from yourself, who's going to take care of you? God. And that's the way God wanted to work this. And so in this, it says, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. That's what was going to happen in all of this. They completely destroyed everything in it and their swords, men and women, young, old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys um, were destroyed. Let's go back and look at that real quick. This is where a lot of people have a problem in the Old Testament. Because when they shouted on that seventh day, what happened? The seventh time, everything fell. And then what happened? The army that was there came in and they conquered. What did they kill? What did the Israelite army, army kill? Everything. Yeah. If you, if you would have not been in the Israel army, if you would have been one of the Jericho people, would they have killed you? 
Would they have killed you? Hey, would they have killed you as a wife? Would they have killed your son, Keone? Would they have killed my dog? <laughs> would they? Yeah, they would have killed everything. So how many of y'all got a problem with that? I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to make fun of you or anything. I'm just saying, internally, how many of y'all kind of like, dude, I don't understand that. Well, here's what I want you to understand, because a lot of people do have a problem in the Old Testament when God does this. But you see, these people in Jericho, God is a just God. So do you think because God is a just God, he has given them opportunity to repent? Yeah, he has given them just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Are you upset that God killed Sodom and Gomorrah and wiped it all out? Well, here's what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. They used to have a big town. They had a town square. And anybody who was traveling through at night, basically, who had to stop and, and, and stop in that town, had to stay in that town square. And do you understand, if it had been you and your family, Terry, stop in that town square, that you couldn't have been invited in anybody's house, you had to stay there, and that they were able to do whatever they wanted to anybody in that town square at night. They could rape them and kill them, and that was perfectly legal according to their society's rules. That's the way these folks in Canaan, that's the way all of this was. They were vilely wicked people. And God had been given a warning and giving them warning and telling them repent and repent and repent. And they didn't repent. They kept getting more and more wicked. And so God basically uses this as an, he, he's been saving it. He's going to give it to Israel, but he's taking these people out. They're a cancer to God's plan. And God, God's the manager who runs this universe. Anybody here have a business? You run a business? Anybody? Okay. Run a business? And if it's your business, right? And you're here to make your business successful, right? But if you have employees that are undermining and they are like a rotten cancer destroying your business, what do you do? Fire you fire them. This world is God's business. And God's a just God who gives people plenty of an opportunity to repent. And if you're a believer and you know that you're going to heaven when you die, but if God's telling you to repent and repent and repent and you're giving him a bad name, I have watched God take no less than three people out. I'm talking three people in times of my ministry who fought against the word of God and fought against his church, which is his bride. And I watched him remove them from this earth. So even if you're a believer, you don't lose your salvation, but he can remove you. But when he does this, He's given them ample opportunity to repent. Now, why would he not leave a few of them? The good-looking ones, the talented ones. You know, if, if you have cancer, let me ask you a question. If you have cancer, and like say you got some, some cancer in your body, um, how, much, how much of it do you want removed, Susie? You, you want all of it, but you don't just feel bad about leaving maybe just some stuff that, no. In fact, it's not only removing all the cancer, they kind of take a margin to make sure that they've got all of it and get rid of it. And these people in Canaan for generations, they came from Esau. They came from, um, yeah, they, 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 had, they, they knew the truth for generations, but they totally went the wrong way. And they were a cancer to God's earth. And so God has them removed. But we got to trust that God is a just God and he's given them ample opportunity to repent. So I don't know if that speaks to anybody here, you know, but God will speak to you and speak to you and speak to you and give you that opportunity to repent. If you don't do it, he can remove you. That's what he's doing here. We're almost done. Meanwhile, 
Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house, bring her out along with all her family. Um, the men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. They were rescued because <laughs> they did God's will God's way. But the people who rejected God's will God's way suffered consequences. And it's the same thing today. Maybe not as drastic, maybe not as quick, but it's there. Verse 24, then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, and iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lived among the Israelites to this day. And so again, she ended up, um, she ended up um, uh, being David's grandmother. <laughs> She ended up being in the messianic line in all of that. And that's how she's even living to that day right there. And at that time, Joshua invoked this curse. And this is kind of cool. I want you to see this, and then I want you to go home. How many of y'all ever look stuff up on Wikipedia? Anybody ever do it? I want you to look up Jericho and check me out on this. But read, look at this curse. At the time, Joshua invoked this curse. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. Um, so anyways, if you look up on Wikipedia, Jericho, you know what you're going to find out? They're going to say, well, there's no historical value of Jericho. We're not even really sure Jericho really existed. We've not found any archaeological ruins to really tell you that this is really the biblical. They're questioning on Wikipedia whether this story is even true. How many of y'all believe this story is true? All right. Do you believe it's true? On Wikipedia, they don't. <laughs> and Snopes probably doesn't either. And by the way, whoever gave Snopes final authority on truth? You know what I'm saying? Who is Snopes? <laughs> so I, there's, there's the question of that. But, but isn't that cool? That basically, he said, nobody's ever going to rebuild Jericho. Now, during King Ahab's time, he tried to rebuild it, but not to it. And so even to this day, they can't find any suitable archaeological records to even prove that it really did exist and they in in wikipedia i was reading it because sometimes like i get some good little facts that i can look up and check their sources i was appalled they're like yeah this probably didn't really even exist this just happened when the jews were at a low point in their history and they wanted to have some kind of great story to charge everybody up like a cheerleading thing and it was like you got to be kidding me one of the greatest stories in the bible about doing God's will, God's way. But yet the world doesn't see it. And God even said that's what was going to happen. So listen, guys. I know we talked about a lot of stuff today, but here's what I really think God wants us to hear, is he wants us like this. How, how much sense did it make to do things this way? I mean, mar march around a wall once a day for six days. Seventh day, march around seven times. Makes no sense at all. But what makes it make sense? God said it. That's what makes it make sense. And so if, you, if they would have gone in and they would have shot arrows and they would have flaming, flamed it up and they would have like taken with their whole army, who would have gotten the credit for this? They would have. But God does things in such a way. In fact, one of my prayers is that God would do things so supernatural that only he could get blamed. Man, would you start praying that for your life? But it means that he's going to ask you to do some crazy things. He's going to ask you to do some things like this, and you're going to have to be listening to him or you're going to get it way wrong. But I dare you to start praying and saying, God, do things so supernatural in my life that only you can get blamed for it. 
and see what he starts doing. But be faithful to do God's will, God's way. Because if God is for us, it doesn't matter who can be against us. Now, Joshua, does anybody know what the, that's a Hebrew name. Do you know what the, the Greek name for Joshua is? Anybody know? It's Jesus. <laughs> and so he's a picture of Jesus as a savior in all of this. And you want to talk about something that sounds kind of crazy. Um, do you remember um, in the book of Numbers where they were complaining against God and all of a sudden there were snakes everywhere? And we had, let's say we had snakes all on the floor right here, Ashley. You good with that? And you're getting bit and you guys all start crying, that's ready, there's snakes. And, you know, first of all, you probably run. Let's just say you're blocked in. And, and, and they're getting bit by snakes. People are, are getting sick. They're dying. Moses goes to the Lord. Moses, God, what do we do? What do we do? And what does God have Moses do? You guys remember? Yeah, make a picture of a snake and make a statue of a snake and stick it on a pole. Uh, hey, what's the medical symbol? A snake on a pole, right? Don't tell them because they'll take it away, but that's where they got it from, all right? But, uh, but so make a statue of a snake and put it on a pole, and everyone, you get bit, Ashley? I don't want you to even say, ow. I just want you to look at that pole and believe that that snake on that pole, believing to doing what I said to do, is going to heal you and you won't get sick. So you got a snake right there and he's latched on. What are you going to be doing? Are you going to be like yanking him off? Ah! Milking him for anti-venom so you can help somebody else out? Or, or are you just going to look at the pole and say, I believe, I trust? You would hope you'd look at the pole. How ridiculous to look at a pole with a snake on the top and count on that for salvation. Isn't that ridiculous? But in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, just like they had to look at that pole, that snake on a pole, he said, that's the way you're going to look at me on a tree. You're going to look at me on a cross. And if you believe that that is the payment for your sins and you surrender yourself to me, then that can be applied to your life. And that's your salvation. So all you have to do for salvation, you want to talk about crazy plans? is to surrender everything you know about yourself to everything you know about Him. And what He did on the cross pays for your sins. That's it. That's it. So if you've never done that, man, I want to encourage you to do that. But if you've already done that, and think about this, if you're trusting Him, hey, Natalie, when you're dead, is there anything you can do? You're trusting Him to take care of that when you're actually dead, right? You can't, what if, you don't have an ace in a hole. You have no backup plan if his doesn't work, right? You're totally counting on him there. How many of y'all are totally counting on him there? So why are we counting on ourselves here? If we are counting on him when there's nothing else we can do, why do we still think we can be of value and, and help ourselves right here? What it comes down to is doing it his, his will, his way. And when we do that, man, he's leading us to do things he'll bless. And it's going to work out. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. Let's pray. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that's never given their life to Christ, that today you would give them a desire they can't refuse to surrender themselves to you. Father, uh, I know that if they've never given themselves to you, it makes no sense. You even told us it's the foolishness of preaching that was going to save people. But Father, I know they got unanswered questions, but just give them the desire and ability to surrender themselves to you. But Father, for those of us that have done that and we've surrendered and we're counting on you to take care of us when we're dead, 
Father, help us all that much more to count on you to take care of us while we're alive. <coughs> Father, I pray that as we would do your will, your way, Father, I pray that we would experience the benefits of being off the leash. I get so excited when my dog's not on the leash and she actually comes to me when I call her. I can't imagine how excited you are when out of nothing but the motivation of love, I obey you, not being snatched back by a leash. But Father, we want to love you more and more and more. So help us do your will, your way. And we'll give you all the glory and honor and praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen.